0: All right, everybody, let's get on our feet and give Jesus some hand praise. Come on, let's make some noise for him this morning. God is so good. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence that has been so rich and so powerful in this house today. You have invaded us. You have overshadowed us. And your fire is consuming us. Thank you. Lord, don't ever let us take for granted what we have experienced this morning. It's not hype, it's not something that someone has conjured up, it's not accidental either. Thank you for being El Shaddai, God Almighty. Thank you for your glory descending in this place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Real quick, Genesis chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. Then I'm going to let you be seated. It's a very simple verse. God saw the Israelites, and God understood. God saw God understood. Somebody came this morning carrying a burden in your life. You've been walking through some stuff in your story. You've been walking through some stuff in your relationships. You probably have even been questioning, is God truly calling me or am I accidental? Because if God is truly calling me, why am I going through this? Why am I surrounded by all of this? Somebody know what I'm saying? I want you to hear me before you're seated. God sees and God understands. Real quick, before you're seated, let's lift up our voice and give him some glory right now. God, you are so awesome. Thank you for your word. Come alive in us today with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If y'all don't mind, forgive me for not going through the normal preliminaries that I do when I begin to preach a sermon. But the presence of God is here. In fact, I almost, almost came on stage in the middle of that last song just because God was saying now, now, now. And about that time, my wife took it, and I've learned not to step in front of her because she's awesome, and I don't want to feel the wrath. But no, she, God. God was ministering in that moment. We'll have time for preliminaries here in just a little bit. But I believe that God has divinely interrupted this day for somebody to hear exactly what you have already experienced today. Here's here, here's one of the things that you have to know about how we plan and build out the worship experiences. God speaks to me about where we're going, and I start writing sermons and. Been working on this series now for about a year and a half, and we're this is part five. Missed any of it, go to nolachurch.com and you'll you'll get caught up. But I don't tell the worship team where I'm going. They have no idea unless they happen to have had a conversation with me and asked me. But for the most part Jake and Morgan, don't ask me, where where are you going? Unless there's something special, like if I feel something, I'll tell them something. But here's what's so awesome about this. They had no idea where we were going today in the sermon, but God did. And God began to touch people in the moment and break protocol because he knew where he was taking us today. We're in this series that we have titled Calling Because there is so much misunderstanding with what calling is. People think a feeling is a calling. People think God calls us to action. People think God calls us to duties and responsibility. There is responsibility, but it's not what a calling is. Calling is not action. Calling is not behavior. Calling is identity. And when you can begin to understand that God calls every believer, and when God calls every believer, there's an intentionality behind him drawing you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And it's not for you to do anything. He is literally calling you out of the chaos of your story and out of the chaos of everything that you have been involved in up to this point. He's saying, please come out of that and come be who I've designed you to be. Anybody feel overwhelmed or just overloaded with stuff? Let's just take about 10 seconds here and just give it to him right now. God, you see everything that we're carrying. Lord, you see everything that's overwhelming us. I pray that you would draw us into a place of rest in you, in Jesus' name. God saw And God understood. What is this even about? Like, we're dropping into the middle of a story, obviously. Today's title, if you need it, is Calling Moses. And in this series, we've been looking at six very intentional patriarchs of our faith that we see throughout the Old Testament. All starting with Abraham and going through his lineage, the lineage of promise. And now we are at the story of Moses. And this is where a lot of us find ourselves. Moses was a Israelite child born during the middle of a political pandemic, if I can use this terminology. You see, it had been roughly 400 or so years after Joseph died, and this is where we were two weeks ago. By the way, did everybody enjoy All In Sunday last week? That was so much fun. If you missed it, don't worry about it. we got three more coming up this year. Once a quarter, we're going all in. And it was, oh my God, it was so much fun. I lost 75 pounds playing the piano. It was awesome. Then I'm outside and gained it all back eating cookies and hot dogs. But before that, we leaned into Joseph. And Joseph was someone that God had moved through a list of adversities into a position of responsibility He had taken him to Egypt and literally made him the king of the world, for lack of a better term, intentionally to move Joseph's family into the land of Egypt. And this is where they were for almost 430 years. But Joseph died somewhere in that period of time. And his brothers and their families and their families' families continued to expand and they continued to begin to take over the land of Goshen until at, at, what, at some point in history there were no more Egyptians living in the land of Goshen. It was nothing but Hebrews. And at this point, the Bible says that a Pharaoh came into power who didn't remember Joseph. Sometimes the world around you forgets what God called you to do and who God called you to be. Don't let that bother you. It doesn't offend God. Don't get upset. Don't start protesting. Don't get placards and billboards and go nutso on Facebook protesting what people misunderstand about you. Don't don't worry about it. Let God deal with it. Amen? Pharaoh didn't know Joseph. And this Pharaoh began to understand we are outnumbered because at this point, the Israelites had outnumbered the people who literally lived in this land. They outnumbered the Egyptians. And so they said, if we don't do something... They could rise up and revolt. Now, up to this point, there was absolutely nothing that had happened to give the Egyptians any reason to be afraid of the Israelites. But they were just afraid because they were outnumbered. And so this Pharaoh decides, I'm going to start putting some pressure on these people to stop their forward progress. And he begins to enslave them. And and then sometime over the next 400 years, they go from being landowners, they go from being productive members of society, they go from there to a position of slavery. And if you look at what's left over from Egypt today, like all of the the wonders of of the ancient world that we can still go see, no, that was not built by aliens, no matter what A&E will tell you or the history channel. That would be really cool, but that's not a real thing. Look at your neighbor and say, there's no such thing as aliens. Yeah, but what? No, there's not. Just, just telling you, you should spend more time here instead of in the fantasy world. It sounds cool. I like the, I like the movies. I like the books, but it just ain't real. It's, this is real. If you want to say it was built by aliens, it was built by aliens from another country. And they were there and they were forced to build all this stuff. And during this period of time, the Bible says that as the pressure continued, somebody hear me, as the pressure of the world on them continued to get heavier and heavier and heavier, God's people continued to expand, expand, expand. Isn't it interesting how the more the enemy tries to stop what God is doing in us and and he begins to put pressure after pressure, distraction after distraction, God's just like, hey, just lean in and expansion continues to happen. And Pharaoh said, this is not working. We got to do something different. Here's what I want to do. Every male child that is born, I want you to kill them. Yeah, the world is getting bad today, but we have not reached that level of bad. As bad as it is today, as bad as it is going to be tomorrow, it has not reached that level. But in the midst of all this, there was a lady who was born. She and her husband were of the tribe of Levi. Levi which was the tribe that God is going to use to bring about the priesthood. It's going to bring about the responsibility of caring for the house of God and all of this looking into the future. There, there is a family born who have a, a baby and they, they already have one child and it's, it's, it's a daughter, so she's fine. And then later on, because they love each other, they have another child and this is a male child. And they realize he's going to die. They don't even get a chance to name him. But they hide him as long as they can. And he gets to the point where babies do what they do. You know, like, anybody know babies like to cry? Right? If your baby doesn't cry, like, you are blessed among all people. I had four daughters, and them, them suckers know how to scream. Especially Adia. Is Adia in here? I love you, baby. Adia is like, so chill now. But when she was a baby, she was just like, ah! be driving down the road. Everybody wonders why am I deaf in this ear? It's because she sat right behind me. I'm kidding. I love all, all of my daughters. I have three amazing kids. And then that other one, which one is the other one? Depends on the day. I'm just telling you. No, I love all my girls. They're awesome. The baby began to cry, and then the mom and dad are like, "We got to do something." And the Bible tells us that that his mother makes an ark out of bulrushes and pitch and pitches it within and without. Oh, so much symbol, symbolism happening here. A lot like Noah's ark was pitched within and without. In the same way, the ark of the covenant was pitched within and without. In the same way that when we receive the presence of God into us, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're sealed both internally and externally. Ooh, I just, I'm just i sorry, I Bible nerd out on all that stuff. Like, yeah! It's pitched within and without. And she puts him out in the Nile, which is the river. The, everything in the Egyptian civilization is built around this river. And she puts him out there. And his sister's like, I, I am not letting my little brother go out there There's crocodiles and stuff in there and piranhas and just like other things that I don't even know about out in this water. And so his sister is standing by the shore watching. And about this time, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to take a bath in the Nile. I don't know if she was just going for a dip or a skinny dip or if she was literally, the Bible does not say. It's literally literally weird to take a posse with you when you go take a bath. (laughs) I, I don't know like however they did that's how they rolled in, in Egypt I guess but she's in the water and she sees this ark floating on the water and I would imagine that she hears a baby crying like and she goes over there and she opens the ark and she sees the baby and she says oh it's, it's, it's a Hebrew child and she gets it daddy's killing all these so somebody got creative When's the last time you got creative with the promise God gave you? Or do you just sit back and say, well, that's just the way it is. Mm, I, I'm drifting. I got, I got to get back on point. Come tonight, I'll drift a little bit more. But anyway. She says, this is one of the Hebrew babies. I'm going to take this child and I'm going to raise him as my own. And sister's over on the side and she hears what's going on. She goes, excuse me. I can't help but overhear what's happening. Would you like for me to take the baby to one of the Hebrew mothers so she can nurse him until he is weaned? And Sister Pharaoh's daughter says, That sounds like a wonderful plan. (laughs) Having no idea that the baby's sister is taking him back to his own mother. And Pharaoh's daughter. Names the child Moses. Why Moses? She said, because I drew him out of the water. You got to hang on to this because that is extremely significant here in a second. Bible says that he's weaned and then he is... Taken from his mother's, but the whole time he is there in his mother's home. Mom and dad and sister and the community are pouring into him. Hey, you are an Israelite. You are a child of God. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and all thy strength. They're just quoting the Shema to him three times a day. They're quoting the Ten Commandments to him. Well, they don't even have them yet. I'm just I'm making stuff up now, but I'm gonna get emails. You got out of order. Yeah, I did. Deal with it. I corrected it. You're welcome. They're quoting all the stuff to him that they had received up to this point, pre-Ten Commandments. How's that? All the theologians in the room, go sit down somewhere. Then he's weaned, and it's time to go live in Pharaoh's house. When he gets to Pharaoh's house, a whole other level of education begins to take place. He is trained in everything in the Egyptian civilization, which is economics, mathematics, engineering, culinary arts, military, strategy. Everything that a good leader needs to have in their pocket. God said, you know what? The Israelites don't know nothing about this. Egypt has all of this civilization yo Pharaoh educating everything that a leader would need is put into this Hebrew child who is living out from his own people he doesn't fit in he doesn't fit in with the Egyptians because they recognize that he's a Hebrew he doesn't fit in with the Hebrews because he dresses like an Egyptian they know who he is but he's not part of them So he's living segregated in the middle of a massive society. But God starts dealing with Moses. And one day Moses is walking through the city and he sees an Egyptian hurting a Hebrew. And he goes, no, this is not going to stand. And he goes and he defends his, his Hebrew family member who he probably does not even know. Ends up killing the Egyptian slave driver. Buries him in the sand. Doesn't think anybody sees. Not all that long later, he's walking through and he sees two Hebrews getting a fight, and one of them is just giving the other one the business. He's like, hey, you got to stop this. Don't do this. And they turn, they both turn on him and say, what are you going to treat us the way you treated the Egyptian and bury us in the sand? Everything you think you're doing in secret is not really secret. Moses is like, this is not good. If Pharaoh hears about this, I'm in trouble. It doesn't matter that I was raised in his house. If he hears about this, I'm done. I know the penalty for my sin. The, the, the Israelites won't accept me. I can already tell they don't respect me. Even though I was defending them, they don't respect me. Don't expect everyone to like everything that you're doing, even though what you're doing is maybe for their benefit. Don't get offended by that. Stay out of your feelings. The Bible tells us that he runs and he, he leaves and he just he just goes on a journey to get away. He escapes and he goes out into the wilderness and he he, he comes up on this man named Jethro and his family, serves some water to some people, some ladies. Jethro had a lot of ladies in his house and Moses was like, yeah, what's up? It's just it's the Bible doesn't go into all the all the details. Like, like verse, verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with the man and he, and he gave him his daughter Zipporah to Moses and Mary. It's like, how long were you there? Like some of y'all are engaged like five and six years. Like oh. just saying, when you know, you know. When you know, you know. If you got a plan three years for a party that you will not even remember when you probably should have bought a house with all that money you dropped. Oh. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, we're gonna, I love you. Let's go. Maybe maybe you can wait so long because you're dipping into things you shouldn't dip in. <laughs> Ladies, you give them all the cookies before they put the ring on there. Don't expect them. Guys, don't take advantage of them and force them into doing something that's out of time. They ain't even in the notes, but there you go. Jethro is like, Jethro is a good southern dad. Jethro, like that. You know he's southern with a name like Jethro. (laughs) Moses, here's Zipporah. Never heard that name, but Moses like, sweet. Moses starts a family and has no plans to go back where he was. He's building a new life in exile. But the Bible says that during this period of time, there's, during that long period of time, we don't know how long it was, but it was long enough for him to date, get married, have kids, take on responsibility. During this entire time, the pressure on God's people continued in Egypt. And they began to cry out. And that's where we get to verse 25. God saw what they were going through. And God understood. Somebody thinks God doesn't see you, it hurts. And you think God doesn't see you because the hurt is there. If he loved me, how can a good God let me hurt? How can a good God leave me in this situation? It is painful. I hate this. And you think he doesn't see, but somebody hear me. He sees everything you're going through. But even more than that, it's not just seeing it. He understands. Y'all, you got to hang on to that. He understands your situation. God doesn't get it. Yes, he does. He understands completely everything that you were going through, and there's nothing that happens in your situation that he is not completely intimate with, and he says, I see it, and I've got deliverance coming. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. We're just going to look at 6 verses. Just kind of stay here. Verse 3, or chapter 3 verse 1. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, good southern sheep herder, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. He got out into a place probably didn't normally go let me highly recommend a book called the way of the shepherd you'll learn a lot about how a shepherd goes out and finds the right grazing you can't just keep going right back to the same place you've always been sometimes you have to branch out to other places he led the flock to the far side of the desert i don't understand why the leader is taking the flock over here You can't see everything from where you sit there eating the grass. Just eat and listen. And he came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. Verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. Who appeared? The angel of the Lord. Now let me go ahead and correct some bad thinking here. This is not Gabriel. This is not Michael. This is not some other member of the heavenly host. When you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's ancient literary language talking about the physical image of the invisible God. You have to understand that the angel of the Lord is God manifesting himself. And in the old Testament, manifesting himself out of time. Let me put this in language we can get. Moses is walking along with the sheep, comes to the mountain of God, and he sees a bush burning, and from within the bush he sees Jesus. Okay, y'all with me? The angel of the Lord is the physical image of Jesus in a time when he should not have been seeing the physical image of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within the bush and he looked and the bush was ablaze with fire but it was not being consumed. Verse three, so Moses thought I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does this bush not burn up? Very valid question. First off, there's a dude in the fire. And this bush isn't burning up. I'm going to have to go check this out. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes when God starts speaking to us through something that is supernatural, we went, "Uh uh-uh. Lord, will you please talk to me? But not like that. Dear Heavenly Father, could you please just give me a word? Oh, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) But Moses doesn't run away. He he says, I'm going to turn aside. I'm going to go check this out. Because there's something about this that's not, not meeting what I'm understanding. This is beyond who I am. There's something crazy happening here. But I can't stand back and just watch it happen. I've got to get a little bit closer. Get closer. It's burning up. Don't stop till you get in. Come on. Then you don't stop. Oh! It fit. I'm sorry. And when the Lord, verse 4 when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look. When the Lord recognized that Moses had turned aside to look, Jay, go ahead, come help me. Moses recognizes there's something different and he turns aside and he comes over here and God sees him leaning in. Notice what happens now God called to him from within the bush. And said, Moses, Moses. Couple things here. Why fire? Why a bush out in the middle of the desert? Why a physical manifestation of the invisible? The bush in this story represents the nation of Israel. And the burning represents the pressure that they are under. But the one in the fire is God himself. And he's letting them know it does not matter what pressure comes on you. It will not consume you because I am in you and I am in the pressure. I'm working all things for your good right now. Does this make sense? And then he says, Moses, Moses. Why? It was extremely important for Moses to hear the calling of God. And recognize this is God speaking, and he is speaking to me. You see, Moses was already in an identity crisis. A Hebrew boy raised in an Egyptian home, he did not fit. Everything in his training was against his heritage. Everything in his heritage was against his inheritance. So he's in a state of confusion. He's living segregated every moment of his life. He does not know who he is. But God does. Somebody hear me. Moses did not have to have everything right, Moses did not even need to understand that he was a vehicle God could use. Moses didn't have to know anything for God to call him. All he had to do was turn aside to see. i got to go to seminary. Please don't. I'm, I'm serious. Don't. You want to you know the best way to kill a ministry? Go start studying it. I went to seminary. I'm, I'm not just saying I'm against something. I've been through it. I, I, I need to do 47 book studies. No, no, you don't. I need to learn how to use Strong's. No, you don't. No, you don't. Nothing wrong with them until they start becoming God. I, I need to get a, a collection of the commentaries. No, you don't. I need to go to ministry school. No, you don't. I need a mentor. No, you do not. You need to turn aside and see what God is already doing. And when you are willing to leave everything in your confusion and you turn aside to what he's doing, he says, now, come here. This okay? God called him from within the bush. said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God said, Don't approach any closer. In fact, take off your sandals. Because the place you're standing is holy ground. Now, I'm breaking the NOLA Church Pastor Monty Cardinal rule. (laughs) Feet are nasty. When you come on the stage, leave your shoes on because that's just gross. But this is illustrative. I want you to see something here. Why? Take your shoes off. The pathway that we walk is trotted. If that's a word, trod is probably the right word by our feet. This is why we need the sandals of peace that we learn about when we study the book of Galatians and we put on the whole armor of God. The world that we walk in is not peaceful. It's full of confusion. It's full of identity issues. It's full of all sorts of confusion and all sorts of everything. And we're walking through the middle of this and we don't know where to go. And if we put something on our feet to protect us, when we come into the presence of God, we have to take that off. Because that doesn't have any place in the presence of God. Because when you're walking out here, you need something protecting you from the uh uh-uh uh that's on the floor. But when you walk into the sanctuary of the Most High, when you walk into that place of absolute eternal rest, he says, I need you to get rid of everything you carried in with you because I've separated this ground to me. This ground is holy. Get your protection off. Is this okay? Get rid of everything that you contrived in your mind thinking it was going to bring you closer to me. Get rid of your theology. Get rid of your opinionation. Get rid of all of your past experiences. Get rid of your politics. Get rid of your wealth. Get rid of all your plans. Get rid of your agenda. Take it all off and walk into this place that I'm calling you by name because I've already separated it. And sanctified it. It's as clean as it will ever be. Pastor, why do you put so much emphasis on the church being a 24-7-365 prayer room? Because this is a place that God has sanctified. And you can come in and you can take it all off. Keep your clothes on. But you can take everything else off. And you could just come in and say, I don't need this. You know what? I don't need my email for the next couple hours. I don't need to check my feed. I, I don't need to to update and refresh my game right right in, no, I just need to be in a place of peace. Don't approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he added, Notice this, verse 6: I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Everyone who I have called up to this point, I prove myself to him. And Mo, right now, in this moment, right here, in this place, I'm letting you know that the God who called everyone who was before you is standing in front of you right now. And I know you by name. I see you. And I understand. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I think this is a bad way to fully understand this because it would be really, really easy in this moment to think that Moses was afraid of what God was doing. No, no, no. This is the ultimate show of humility. This is the ultimate show of humility. He says, okay. My Birkenstocks are gone. This is sacred. This is holy. You see me. I don't need to see anything because you're the one who has vision. And Moses is not afraid of what God's doing. Moses is afraid of getting another vision in front of what God has already seen. So Moses goes right here. In this moment, he trusts God with everything. Why? Why can Moses go here? A murderer, an outcast, someone who's different from everybody, married to a pagan priest's daughter. In the middle of nowhere. How can he come to this place? It's very, very simple. Because of one phrase that God said. God said, I am. If you keep reading in chapter 3, you get down to verses 13 and 14. And this is where God started ministering a few minutes ago. When Morgan was singing right over here and she started ministering and singing prophetically, by the way, that's what it is. That's when God actually starts singing through you. God started singing through her saying, I am. What what does that mean? It's not just I am. It's in all caps. And the reason they put it in all caps is because they want you to see that this is different. It literally means I am that I am. In other words, I am who I have been. I am who I am right now. I am who I will be because time has nothing to do with me. I simply am. Someone corrected me a few weeks ago and I I said something. uh, I was reading in, in the Bible and quoting scripture and I said, Jesus is. And they're like, no, he was. I'm like, no, no, he is. His flesh was. His identity is because his identity never has not been because his identity is where all this stuff started. And Moses is right here and he says, I'm in the place of calling. I'm in the place where vision is just coming. I don't need to see anything because the one who is sees everything. Stop chasing other dreams. Stop looking for vision. Trust the one who is in the middle of the fire. He is standing in the middle of your pressure. He's standing in the middle of your circumstance. And he's saying, look, it's not burning me up. And it's not going to burn you up. It will not consume you. Hey Israel, I know the pressure's there but it's not gonna consume you because I'm in this with you but what you need to do is allow me to consume everything about you. What's Moses calling? Moses calling is just simply to go to the resting place, kick off your personal protection and close your eyes, close your mouth, and just be consumed. this makes sense? I have no idea why God has orchestrated everything in this church over the past almost 10 years. September will be 10 years. That, that's mind-boggling to me. I have no idea why he allowed us to go through the thing. I have no idea why he allowed me to make the mistakes that I have made over the last 10 years and yet still trust us with what he's doing. I have no idea. But I can't shake the reality that there's a definite divine vision that he has entrusted to this house. And I'm a preacher and 90% of my friend circle are preachers and most of them are pastors. All we talk about is church stuff. That's it. It's all we know. Don't ask us about anything else. If you do, it's probably not going to be right. And we, we're all on the same email list. Every one of us. They find out we're a preacher, pff, add their name to the list, and we, we all get the same junk. The greatest thing that your church needs over the next 30 days. No longer masking, now you need this wonderful mask. Come on, 1995. A month. And I'm like, Stop. Stop. Let us give you your next 40 sermons. What? Let us show you the greatest outreach tool there is by a guy who's never pastored a church. show you financial peace by a guy who doesn't even believe in tithing. What? It's easy to get caught up in the journey with our protection. I just got taller. I don't see how you ladies do it. Kick them off. Kick them off. Go to the sacred place. Close your eyes. Close your mouth. Open your ears. Open your life and say, You see, I don't have to understand. You see. I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to rely I'm just going to obey. I don't get it, but I don't even want to try anymore. I'm just, can you give me the details, God? No, I'm not going to do it. Please, no. Okay. I'm going to stop chasing me. I'm just going to lean into who you are. and I'm just going to lay myself on the altar in this resting place. And pray that your identity consumes everything in me. So with all that I am, be consumed with who you are. And let the glory of your presence What else could I even ask for, God? More education, more strategy, more finance. None of that is going to meet the need. I've had all of that, but I don't have this sacred place. And I'm chasing all this junk. I need divine vision. So I'm just. Consume me where I don't even try to look anymore. I wonder what would happen if we would just get so obsessed with the identity of the one who is speaking to us through the middle of our adversity saying, I have never left you and I never will. I will never forsake you. I'm a friend who sticks closer than a brother and we stop chasing other dreams, I wonder what would happen. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who would just simply say, he's calling me to that sacred place. If that's who you are, when nobody looking around, With no hesitation, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to come find a place to pray here in this altar. God is calling us to the holy place. He's calling us to the place of sacredness. So let all that I am be consumed with who you are for the glory of One more.